Germain Health, the centre to help you achieve wellness in both your brain and body. We endeavour to encourage cross-communication between health professionals for your health and well-being. We'll bring you topics on neuropsychology, neurobehaviour, neuromusculoskeletal, neurogastro, movement is well-being, metabolism and microbiome, which are also some of the services that we provide. Today's podcast is our third in our low back pain series, and today we'll be talking about the skeletal causes of low back pain. I have Dr. Shemaine Wong with me today, so say hello, Shemaine. Hello. Sorry about the little wait between the last low back pain episode and today's current low back pain episode. That one can be apologies on my um, on my part, as I recently had a surgery for a spontaneous pneumo, pneumothorax that kept recurring. So apologies also as part of this podcast if you do hear me coughing. I'm okay. It just I occasionally get caught short of breath. So predominantly because we're talking a bit today. If you hear me coughing, just it, everything's fine. It's just so that you guys are aware. And I, I apologize in advance for random loud coughs. So we've got a few topics that we'll go over today. So Shemaine and I have oh, we were discussing this earlier and we thought we'd cover what we call osteoarthritis or also known as degenerative joint disease. We'll talk a little bit about spondylolisthesis, which I know you've heard about us talk in the past in our sciatica series as well. We'll talk a little bit about spondylitis, also capsulitis, facet syndrome, and what us chiropractors refer to as a subluxation as well. Might as well start off with osteoarthritis, the easiest one for people. No? I thought that we should start with your... Your new I gave a quick summary. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it interesting that when we talk about neurothorax and, and neck pain, mimicking neck pain and shoulder pain, and those were the things that you had to... Indeed. Yes. Still get a little bit of the shoulder pain, but it mimics a little bit of rib pain as well. Yeah. That one was, remember, I, that was the one that I had concerning for the first time. I wasn't sure if it was a fracture mm. or if it was a, if it was a pneumothorax when it first happened. That's right. So if you guys haven't listened to Shoulder Pain podcasts and episodes, it'd be worthwhile for you to listen to them. Those were in our earlier episodes, I think. Episode one of our beginnings. One of our I beginning episodes, yeah. Would have, it would have been one of our first ones, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about shoulder pain mm-hmm. and how it can mimic um, or mimic respiratory issues and respiratory system issues. Yeah. So it's really worthwhile for you to listen to that. Unfortunately, now mm. it's still the shoulder issue is now going to come post surgery with right. the scar tissue. Of course, shortening the arm Shorten, span. The shortening the arm span, and that's right. That's so that's post keyhole surgery. Mm-hmm. Post surgery, it's uh, well, it depends on the skill of the surgeon mm-hmm. and how the incision looks like, and how the person heals is very, really much mm-hmm. up to their own immunity. And Jackie has one, uh, one really, really good immunity. Yeah. System. According, according to my surgeon mm-hmm. who said his direct comment was pretty much that the wound is as big as the surgeon mm-hmm. more or less as in it's up to it's the surgeon's doing but the healing the scar and the healing mm-hmm. is the person's own body so he was quite pleasantly surprised by my healing and said the exact same thing because mm-hmm. i have a hell of a recovery rate for healing purposes yep. so i've got a little lump in one area where there's a little nick Got another little nick, and that's got another little lump, and 
one of them up where the main drain was. Yes. If you run your hand down it, you can see you can see the you can see the hole. Oh, you can see the little mark. But out of all the other two, out of all the three, mm. if I was going for lump wise, I'd say that that's the one that's got the least the smallest actual scarring scar tissue underneath it. Oh, so of, the of that of 10, the, yeah, 10 centimeters, out of, 15 out of, centimeters, yeah, out of, that was a yeah. year. Out of all the, out of all the, and your extra plural, yep. plural. <laughs> out of all the incisions, that's the biggest one. And that one looks to have currently the smallest scar tissue forming. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's a good one. And it's a new stitch as well. So it might be because of that stitch as well. We'll see how it comes up. Yeah. At the moment, it's looking like an X marks the spot in that area. Excellent. As far as, far as I'm concerned. We hope to find some treasure in this. <laughs> No, no treasure. We did. We took out that big hose. That was a treasure. Yeah, the, the whole hose. The whole hose. Uh, whole, the whole yes, hose. it's a, it's a little bit destabil. It can be a bit destabilizing when you see a whole hose inside your body. Yeah, your lung, uh, uh, lung fields really, think, lung cavity. Especially really. when, like me, who thought it was a good only about ten centimeters or so, fifteen, and then he, I see the video. I had it. Be, I had it recorded, by the way. Comes out of about thirty to forty centimeters of a tube. <laughs> yes. Wonder where this thing fit. So if you if you guys are listening to our podcast and you happen to just want to see the video, see the video, you got to DM us and let us know that you want to hear and want to see it. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll we'll post it. I'll post. I'll share the video with you guys, but only on request. It's a bit. It's a bit confronting. It can that's be for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yes, but uh, that that's a that's a di- that's a diversion. That's mm-hmm. a that's a diversion. That's oh a god. what's the word? Oh my god, that's a distraction. Not distraction. It's a tangent. It's a tangent. <laughs> what, yes. The other diversion in my head. Segway. Me, yeah, that's the word. Meanwhile, Shireen's just looking at me, pointing into different directions, going, she is. "What's the what's the word? What's the it's other like, word?" This pointing thing is not working. <laughs> Stored in it's like, time. Lateral lateral movement. Like it is lateral movement of our conversation from low back pain. It Fair. went to the pneumothorax. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly what it was. Okay. okay. <laughs> back to the low back pain. Back to low back pain. Starting with osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them used interchangeably. What we're talking about here is what most people know, know as your standard arthritis. Mm. So a degenerative thing most of the time comes with time, age, predisposes it regardless of how active or how how fit you are during your younger years at some point in time it will it is likely to kick in in your later years it can and there's also an inflammatory factor to it's you worthwhile for people to realize that sometimes it's the it's the diet Mm -hmm. diet or nutrition and diet and nutrition for each individual's like i think we have started to mention several times over that it's quite different for different people it's, it's absolutely it's not one diet fits all yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's not a one diet fits all you can't fit everyone into uh, an eight hand plate mm-hmm. good food for one person may not be the same good food for someone else um one man's meat is another man's poison that sort of thing really holds true yeah and that can and that can easily contribute to osteoarthritis you know as a factor as can just the the whole saying just before just because you're physically fit and everything earlier on in life that can actually predispose you as well so your sporting activities what you've chosen when you were yeah. when you were younger even even going back into your childhood years your 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 teen years your young adult years whatever sporting you were, you were exposed to especially if there was a lot of impact 
whether it was a lifting sport or whether it was a running sport with jumping, etc. involved, same sort of concept. There's, there might have been some sort of minor, minor minor tears or minor issues going on that you were exposed to. That and wasn't on, resolved. Yeah, they weren't resolved. Mm-hmm. And later on, that's how they present. Especially if they're not resolved properly. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we do see that, and that's one that we've commonly seen where it's been more or less continuously exposed trauma, like cumulative, that wasn't addressed earlier on or wasn't necessarily correctly addressed earlier on. Just over the years, it accumulates and then it shows up or the person is, is, or the reports will show up saying that, yes, there's early signs or already marked signs of osteoarthritis despite the person maybe being in their early 30s, mid-30s sort of thing. Yes. Um, Speaking of osteoarthritis and being early 30s versus uh, an older spine. So I think that I've mentioned this to you guys before. We had... A person come in here, she was, um, well, she was 90 really. And her GP looked at her x-ray and said, oh, you just have a 90-year-old spine. But her 90-year-old spine means that her, her disc just looks like it doesn't have water, which is which is normal oh, yeah. for all our spines. However, two or three patients after her came in that day as well. And he was a young man, a young guy, um, a I think at a point in time it was like 30 or just before 30. And he had several levels of degeneration in there already. So whose spine is older in that sense, you know? And I asked him at that point in time, I asked him if he, well, it looked like, for some reason it just looks, it looked like a malnourished spine. I, how do I describe that further? I don't have the nuances for that. What I asked him, however, was if he worked in, um, does he work night shifts? Does he work shift work? Does he do shift work? Because it looks like he needs more vitamin D, a bit more calcium in his body. Then he looked, he said, Shemaine, I, I do, um, I do work night shifts and I do stay in a dark room most of the time. Give you the words for your malnourished so that our audience can understand a little bit. Then we'd be going, if you saw the x-ray, it'd look a little bit more, as opposed to where it should look more white for your bones, it'd look more dark. It should look, it comes off looking more blackish and more hollow is probably, is probably the best way to describe what Shemaine was seeing as malnourished. Mm. Just for you guys to get an understanding of an idea, I should say. That's right. That malnourished hollow feeling. Yes. So that shouldn't have happened. For especially for someone who's young, and we have we recently of uh, well recently and of late, we have been having quite a number of youngsters coming in here. Uh, youngsters by, by that I mean anywhere like thirty five and below, even forty and below. But you're talking about really young people yeah. coming in with chronic fatigue, inflammatory issues, and fibromyalgia type of um, presentation. So I'm wondering. Why that is the case, and that those those symptoms, signs and symptoms, look like a back pain issue mm. too. A lot of the time, mm, a lot of the time, yeah. So those issues are multifactorial mm. and multi-layered. So it's um, it's quite an interesting time of our careers here in Germain Health. Um, we don't we see them see these patterns in mostly people in the arts. Yeah, especially the chronic fatigue and yeah. fibro, yeah, they're more common. Yeah, they're mostly in arts. It's common in the musicians. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In the creative side. the creative industries, yeah. yeah. And I see see that a lot. By a lot, and it was 
what, 20, Dottie? Yeah, it, it, it was pretty, a lot. It, it'd be, you'd be looking at just quickly thinking of our patient base of, like, the creative side, mm. of, like, the patients that have the creative side to them, their, their industries are in the creative side. Yes, you'd be pretty much looking at a good 50, 50 plus, 50 mm. to 75% would be very much fitting exactly into that category. That's right. And yeah. it can be quite young too. Mm. You're talking about somewhere along the lines of uh, majority late, under 40. Uh, yeah, between the, between yeah. yeah mid 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 to late twenties and under the under forty. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and they are bucking the trend of most uh, what we would describe as um, most commonly thought of, like women in their forties yeah. or fifties, and they are housewives. They are just thinking it in their heads, yeah. and this, this was what we were learning in school, yeah, right? Yeah, especially, yeah, yeah, in the textbook, in in the pathology textbook. But that's not what we are seeing, and it's interesting. We will we will be speaking about my, uh, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue yeah. sometime later on this year. However, this is what we are experiencing, currently seeing, currently well, seeing yeah. and experiencing right now. Mm. Where there's where, as Shemaine said, where mimics or presence as low back pain. Yes, that's right. And again, it relates a lot of it relates back to what you mentioned as well before about the diet as well. Yeah, the inflammatory diets. Exactly. What, what is inflammatory diet to one person? That doesn't necessarily have to be an inflammatory diet to the other person. Yeah, uh, or an immune immune deficiency. Yeah, or an immune immune suppress, suppression is common too. And that comes up with spondylitis as well, mm-hmm. where the own body starts attacking itself. Well, I don't know anything about this whole body starts attacking itself. It, a little, so with the immune suppression. Yeah, it could, it could. You know, there's um, uh, I mean, this is this is an segue. A friend of mine who is a researcher in in endocrinology, and she was saying that there are frontiers and advances in immunity such that they it's like training the immunity it's a, a uh, circulatory training the immunity mm-hmm. so they would i don't know what they do but it's almost like a prp for a prp extraction and centrifuging the blood cells and then and then mm-hmm. redirecting it into the system again but i don't know how they do it so i'm not going to say very much about that but it was posted in my personal facebook don't look for me on my personal facebook <laughs> You won't find her. You, you probably won't find me, and I'll probably not respond. Yeah, that's yeah, that one hundred percent. There's no point. She doesn't respond until about two, two months or three or four months later. And that has happened to several people. So don't take it too personally. I find Facebook a little bit confusing at the best of times. So there we go. The millennial in me. All right. You're not that bad. Next. No, we can continue on with that one because you introduced the inflammatory one. So spondylitis, might as well go spondylitis and capsulitis because they're both inflammatory Mm -hmm. conditions. So spondylitis, which is what we we refer to as an inflammation of the vertebra, one of the most common ones is what they refer to as ankylizing, ankylosing, ankylizing, depends on how you want to pronounce it, spondylitis, which is the one that's most commonly seen in males, more often in males, and starts at under the age of 45 again. So again, seeing a common trend here, inflammatory conditions under the age of what you normally expect later on in life. They're all starting earlier. The funny thing about ankylizing spondylitis is that I read to I read the description of that on two different 
organizations. They have big organizations. Yeah. One is America. Yeah. America and one is in Australia. Australia. Yeah. And the Australian ones are saying, oh, it, um, it's mainly in males. You seldom see in females. And the, the American one is saying, well, it's equigender. Oh, let's change it. Yeah, it's equigender. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Um, our little Howie barking. We just had one of our staff members come in. And he barked at the door because we had it locked. So going back to our spondylitis, Charmaine was informing us of the differentiation, the differences between the descriptions in Australia and America. the States. Yep. And we found out that it's become neutralised yeah. in the gender dis- dis- distribution. distribution. Yeah, yeah it's, it's more equigender and it's more equalised now. The difference is that for men, it's much more easy to recognise. And for women, it's severely more difficult to recognize or detect. Is that because we've got more, well, not for females, can have more, it can have different layers that can be pretty much mimicking it again? That's correct. Like what we've talked about with yes. menstrual pain and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay. And also the way that most females will probably describe it can be a little bit more broader yeah. than males do. And one is saying, organization also says that, oh, there's no correlation to abdominal issues. You're talking about Crohn's, irritable bowel, anything has got to do with your abdominal uh, contents yeah. and that contributes to, to the uh, angolizing spondylitis. However, another one says that it does. Yeah. The thing is, about this is that can that be researched? Is that researchable? Are the parameters researchable or not? Because this has got to do with a lot with the circulatory systems, whether are the nerves to that supplies that exits the that vertebral vertebrae level affected? Yeah. Is it affecting the and that supply to the viscera, the organs? Is that affecting the organ, or is it the other mm-hmm. way around, yeah. or is the circulatory system of being affected? to the viscera or the other way around or the lymphatic system or the other way around. So you have got three or four factors happening that can easily obstruct any form of mobility in there. So you're talking about mobility and movement, right? We love, we at Jermaine have really love talking about movement, not less mobility, more movement. So when we're talking about movement, we are talking really talking about the supply of do you describe it as the supply of information of the nerves? Yeah. Yeah, right? Of the nerves to and from uh, to from the brain, exiting the spine, to the organs, mm-hmm. to the limbs, and the feedback through the spinal thalamic cord up into the brain. Is, is that happening? Is that working? The, so uh, it's also the same, rather, is that a drainage happening for the lymphatic system from the from the viscera to into the greater, into the lymph nodes? Is there a movement from the arteries to those areas as well? If none of these are happening and happening properly, we are bound to get a restriction. And over time, restrictions means usually involve some kind of friction because you're talking about, well, it's not obstruction, it's a lack of movement, right? So in the lack of movement, there'll be compensation in the tissues and then there'll be friction. And over time, friction is... Is, will create inflammation. Yeah. So that, that kind of lack of movement is what we are really referring to. Will that affect the neuroendocrinology aspect of the bodies? 
body and then after that your metabolism especially in ankylosing spondylitis usually it happen, usually most of the time it happens in the lower lower yeah. region of the bo- uh, spine anyway yeah, predominantly low back and pelvic and also go out into the ankles and shoulders i think they occasionally talk about it yeah but that's much much yeah. less i think yeah yeah so uh, as a result of that what then you know one of the recommendations is to exercise and go into elongation of the spine. Tai Chi. Yeah, Tai Chi. And, and, and that is mostly to deal with the mental aspects, mm. uh, mental aspects of the pain. the pain. But when that happens, that's a lot of axial pressure. Axial pressure, you're talking about gravity. So there's a lot more compression that's happening. So a person may feel, I don't know, 50% better because the mental aspect is stronger. And the mentality and the uh, resi- emotional resilience of the person becomes stronger. However, the issue is still around. It will also, mm-hmm. the other part probably that we're that be getting a little bit more of that 50% as well, where um, not just the mental part of it, or mental as well, but the mental also does always affect the gut itself as well. Mm. So the if they if they're able to control, like you just said, their emotions and everything, mm. it means there's at least one less slight player in their gut yep. that's going to be contributing to that inflammatory process for them as well. On the other hand, we have got these organizations are suggesting, oh, you have got to do extension exercises. Extension exercises are going to be really really painful. Yep, especially if it's starting to fuse itself to yep. the front. Exactly through the front, through the front of the spine. Sorry, guys. That's just right. So that you know, yeah. Without the tissues yeah. being being physically manipulated, mm-hmm. and manipulated, and then and they are being they're suggested to go through things like yoga, Pilates, etc., etc., which might not be a bad thing if if they do not push themselves beyond the range that they can't get into, and also on that note, if their gut health is great, yeah. So if their gut health is great, uh, th- these conditions need to happen. Where, um, for them to feel like, oh, I've got a spondy, but, but, you know, it doesn't affect me yeah. so much. It's when their gut is actually pretty good. They are not sitting or uh, sitting or standing too long for their daily, daily activities. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're bending over too much for that as well. And they have got a fairly mobile, um, well, no, less compensated tissues within the organs and the viscera. And then, most likely that they, they will feel like, you oh, know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah. No issues there. Continuing on with the other, with the next inflammatory one, capsulitis. Mm. I think you've seen this a little bit more frequently than I have in clinic um, with the fine joints, the, the littler joints that we talk about mm. um, between the vertebrae. Again, probably one of the ones that often go hand in hand with the chiro subluxation, I think, as well. Mm. Again, facet syndrome as well i think we were talking about this before but i think it still does overlap just be, with the stories and it depends on how they describe different different sites again like you were saying the, the oh, we said the german and the french the english and the american one the, the australian and the american ones have different and don't ask don't look at me i'm just apparently calling out random countries names here <laughs> like, like how they had about the two different versions of as um yeah explanations this is another one sometimes facet syndrome is described as a degenerative issue between a joint just joint degenerative thing an osteoarthritis of the facets themselves so they're a couple of the joints smaller joints within the spine not the not not the two big parts of your um vertebrae but the two the edgy bits 
the best way that I can describe. You have to look it up, guys, for me to try and try to build you a picture because it's not going to work. All Shemaine seeing me pointing random fingers up to try and point this out, and it's not going. It's not going well. But even me trying to explain this to you to try and build a picture. So facet joints. Yeah, Google facet joints. Yes. And the capsulitis, capsulitis is the capsule that sits on top of the facet joints. Capsulitis, anything that is itis usually means that an inflammation. Yeah. So the major difference between between these two and uh, capsulitis is um, is an inflammation that occurs all the time and all for a more prolonged period of time. And the facet joint syndrome is usually, I feel really stuck, I, this is a yeah. bit painful, this joint is is because it's stuck. It's referring to X, Y, and Z places. Capsulitis can do that too, and it feels a little, a lot more tender than tender, and it recurs more yeah. often than a facet joint syndrome. Probably a bit more pinpoint specific. Yeah, well, that's yeah, right. A bit more localized too. Yeah. Capsulitis is usually usually is an inflammation of some sort. It could be mechanical, but it could also very easily be metabolic. All that, if you are an athlete or someone who exercises or something like that, you are straining. You're straining some form of movement often. Yeah. Yeah. Repetitive. Yeah, quite rapid, repetitively. It's worse if it has got a pressure coming through through that particular joint factor. When that happens, then we keep having then we keep hammering the same thing over and over again. Then we start having problems. Facet joint syndrome, that is bread and butter of chiropractic. Bread and butter of chiropractic. And we have got we see that often. Most of the time we have it anyway. Whether we adjust it or not is a different thing. It just depends on whether we feel it or not as the biggest culprit more or less. Yes. I'd be inclined to say. Mm. So. It comes it comes hand in hand with subluxation, yeah. right? Subluxation. The funny thing is about subluxation, the word subluxation, everyone gets really hung up on. Hung up on. To the layperson, they don't really care. Right. Uh, they don't know really what subluxation is. They don't really care. To the medical profession, it depends on, you know, the the mood, the weather of the day. It's a bit mercurial as well. A, a, a bit mercurial like like Melbourne's weather, really, it can be really hot and after that it can be healing all at once within like five minutes, right? Um, <laughs> it, it is. And subluxation, when you Google Google that, Wikipedia will say, well, Wikipedia is a very well-resourced re- resourced forum, I think. You can't, you, can't, you can't make your own Wikipedia page, Yes, we can't make your own Wikipedia. Yeah. So what happens with that? I'm not talking about Wikipedia. No. <laughs> subluxation. Subluxation to different professions, it means different things. To the medical professions, it means short of the dislocation. To the dentistry, in dentistry, there's a word subluxation too. It means a different thing altogether Mm -hmm. as well. To us chiropractors, when we are talking about subluxation, it means that the joint, a particular joint is under pressure. It is under pressure because of um, being either worked too much or that they are, or that we need to realign it. So that's our chiropractic subluxation. Yeah. Mm. And our last one for today, spondylolisthesis, which yes. is our big one that we're currently dealing with, our lovely Sarah. Our physiotherapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
who will be having that surgery soon. Oh, she's having a surgery. Yes, she will be having the surgery soon. And but to backtrack for you guys, spondylolisthesis is where there's has there has been a slippage of the vertebra on top of the on top of another vertebra. Most often, the last few of the um, lumbar spine onto the sacrum can happen higher up, up of course, but that's usually the case. Most often, follows either a degenerative issue of potentially a born defect with through the past defect like through the past sorry I should say your past area of this of the vertebra or it can be due to repetitive stress in your sporting activities majority of the time in young adulthood you know, young teens adulthood sort of thing in your jumping running lifting sports again heavy weightlifting and everything where there's been as Shemaine's been talking about cumulative compressive forces in one particular direction, um, and they they put a they put minor fractures through there, and if the fractures uh, become unstable, that's when it becomes slip. That's when it takes the vertebra above it. It could have a congenital familial that's disposition to it too. That's what I was trying to get across with my birth defect one. That's it was the, I couldn't remember the word congenital. Birth, def- birth defect is something else altogether. It's called spider- spinal birth defect. Yeah, it's in a long time, yeah. So when you're talking about, like, spondylolisthesis disease or a particular weak back position, yeah, predisposition, you're talking about this, this congenital influence or familial influence, usually it means that it's genetics. <laughs> it comes from, you know, you know parents, grandparents, it's, it's a bloodline thing. Whether how it comes about, I'm not sure. You know? It's it's all in our DNA mm. when that happens. And and also on top of that it can be epidural. Epidural can affect low back pain. Really? Of course epidural oh, can affect yeah, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Can uh, can can affect lower back pain. Some some women uh, some people have it more than others. Mm-hmm. However, at on the same token or some surgeons, or not, maybe not even surgeons, some musculoskeletal radiologists uh, or in intervention pain management would suggest epidural injections to reduce the pain factors. Isn't it, isn't it funny? Yeah, there's, there's some weird practices out there sometimes that when you hear that. Yes. When there's so, so it can cause pain. And then oh, it severe pain. And then it can, it can be used to relieve severe, yeah. severe uh, spond- spondy pain too. Mm. So I had one uh, one um, patient some time back, and he had quite. He's young again. He's young, um, like 20, 20 something, mm-hmm. and he's got severe spont- spondylolisthesis, right? To the point that on, on occasions he would feel, and quite constantly he would feel a severe spasm in his abdomen. So initially, I thought that it was um. And deep into the abdomen too. Initially, I thought that it, oh, he may he because of his, the choice of his sport. That was what was the choice of his sport, jujitsu. Yep. And in jujitsu, you have a lot of flexion, yep. flexion in in the abdomen area, right? Yep. And there's a lot of pressure and pressure and time under tension mm-hmm. in that area. A lot of pressure there. It's easy. It's not far fetched to say, hey, you know, the walls of the artery in the abdominal aorta. It can be stretched too, you know. It can be a lot under pressure, a lot, a lot of pressure. So I was um, worried 
I was really, really concerned. I was like, oh, could it be that, you know, that's happening to, to the walls of the aorta? I was like, well, should I send him for a CT? Should I send him for an MRI? What, what should I be sending him for? And, well, I was like, well, I would do that after I, I, I sent him for an imaging of his, of his spine. And he has both degeneration in the higher, I don't know, something like three or four or something like that levels. And then he has a severe spondylolysis in five, L5 as well. You're talking about a 25 year old guy, right? Um, and his, I can't remember if I managed to do more for, for that person or not. So I, I called the interve- intervention pain management people and I'm like, um, what do you suggest? Maybe, and then they were like, maybe a, co- a course of epidural injection might be a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's quite funny. And, uh, and I've had people who, who come in and say, Oh, I have your birth and then I had epidural and my spine has never been the same mm-hmm. since. So it's like, it's, it's a, quite a conundrum. The information that we are getting right now, uh, there's a lot of um, mixed messages. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, as far as we are concerned with spondylolysis, in the case with Sarah, our physiotherapist, you can you, you, uh, feel free and I would encourage you and invite you to listen to our previous podcasts on her speaking about her experience with spondylolysis yeah. and she was very generous and kind and brave and open. and open to be sharing that on in public broadcast she'll be having a fusion yeah. which will stabilize the spine which is fantastic however what i said to her said, at that point in time when we were discussing the timings of what we should be getting it done and i i strongly encouraged her to have her hormones checked because this is all under uh, you know this is all the in, in neuroendocrine right there was there was a reason for that and the reason was this if her hormone levels weren't good the recovery rates post-surgery will be longer and more protected we'll be looking at you know her instead of you know one month or two months we're looking at six months mm-hmm. and and all those kind of things so it was better to in our in our minds, and she agreed to that. It was better for our for her to have a better if there were hormone issues or interruptions or dysfunctions, we would have that moving, moving and progressing. Then comes in the um, the timing of the surgery. So that was how we timed that one. Her time's due soon. Yeah, and her time is due soon, and and her hormone levels have um what's the word called settled, mm-hmm. and, and has stabilized. Mm-hmm. What it's called stabilized, and we are happy with that. Her wrist has stabilized too, and so soon enough we are looking forward to. We have already started prehabbing her yeah. for a while now, and and I said to her, I said, look, this you need to prehab. You need to. Um, get your exercise done and she diligently do, does it and we are looking forward to hearing from her an interesting factor is that she so so her, her family is uh, she comes from a family of butchers so yeah well I don't meat, know meat butchers yeah like, meat so butchers just clarify that yeah that's right selling pork so apparently to hold meats uh, meats it's really slippery uh-huh Right. Yeah, and and so a lot of times they they have arthritis in their hands mm-hmm. from yeah. that yeah. from gripping. 
given that she had severe wrist issues prior to going back and we had some uh, uh, PRP done and she, and her hormone levels are stable. She she said, I recently asked her, so, so how's your wrist? Is it okay? Is your back okay? Because you're studying for such a long mm-hmm. time. She says, yeah, there's no, she, she said that there's no problems with her wrist and that was fantastic here. And her back is, she's good. Mostly a lot of times she's been doing her rehab anyway. Mm-hmm. Or prehab. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> but she was complaining that her feet were tired because she was standing on her feet all day in, in the, in the wet market. Mm-hmm. See? So that was quite relieving to yeah. hear. Yeah, quite, quite a relief. And of all the ISIS, I think spondylolysis is in Australia. I, I believe in Australia. I don't know in about America or, or Canada, um, or even Singapore or Thailand. The way that they understand how to, the neurosurgeons in uh, the way they understand how to do diffusion, mm-hmm. I mean to fuse the spine. I think they're doing a really really good job up there, uh, up here yeah, here yeah, yeah, yeah. in in Australia. For the majority of the part, I think they are pretty pretty switched on with that. Yeah. So you know, even if if my parents were to my parents are from Singapore, they live in Singapore, and even if they were to have a surgery, I would probably have them come here yeah. to do it. I agree. Anytime Dad says. Uh, he would occasionally have a think of like maybe seeing a specialist up in Poland or whatnot. Like, yeah, come back here. Like we both know the medical system up there. There's no point. We're yeah. better, we're better with certain things like mm-hmm. dentistry. No problem. There's no we. It, it's much better up there than it is here. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't necessarily be trusting certain for certain um, surgeries and stuff like that. I wouldn't be going up to Europe, up to not to Poland, them trusting the hospitals there. Mm-hmm. Certain other countries, no problem. Germany's Germany's great for them, especially a lot of the orthopedics and everything. Oh yeah, neurosurgeries, anything of the sort. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be going to Poland for it. Neurosurgery is is, mm-hmm. is Germany, I think. Yeah, yeah. and Switzerland. Maybe. And so and so is orthopedics. Mm-hmm. They've got again Switzerland, um, like you just said, Germany. Um, I think America's fairly good with that as well. There's a few of them like that, mm-hmm. but I do I do think we're we're fairly good with our neurosurgery here as well. Mm. So Sarah is in capable hands. We like to think. Is there any more that you want to say? No, I think that's it for us for today, for our third part in our low back pain series. Guys, if you like what we're presenting, give us a thumbs up, a like, or share it with one other person whom you think we may be able to help. For those of you who are coaches, dancers, or athletes and may find difficulty with expressing or executing your movement patterns, please do connect with us on our website, www.germainhealth.com.au. And Jermaine Health is spelled J-U-R-M-A-I-N-E-H-E-A-L-T-H. Or please socialize us with our Facebook, which is Jermaine Health, and our Instagram, which is Jermaine Health Body. And guys, also you can jump onto our Jermaine Health Body Instagram, um, which can also guide you in the direction of our Embodied Athlete page if you're interested in following us on that as well or getting involved in that project of ours. Have a look in and read into that as well. And we have an Embodied Recovery workshops coming up. And I believe that's in April. So One is in April. The other one is in March. Oh, so, sorry. So we do have one in March. Oh, yes, we do. We do have our, and we've got our webinar coming up as well, which is also in March, I believe, for the Embodied Athlete, yes? Yes. Okay. I believe that one's either on the second or the third weekend of 
March, guys, but we'll keep you posted close to the date as well. And probably the next podcast or the podcast after that. So don't stress. But again, we also do put out all our information on both the Jermaine House Facebook page and the Jermaine Health Body Instagram page. So watch those two spaces as well, guys. And last but not least, since this podcast is made for you, our clients, patients, and fans, do let us know what else you might like to hear about from us. And that's all for us today, guys. See you. Bye.